You are listening to SequelCast 2 and Friends, part of the Tokyo Beat Podcast Network. This is a vintage episode of SequelCast 2 and Friends. Audio quality may not be up to current standards. We apologize for the nastier audio artifacts. But it might be possible for me to help Draco. Welcome to the Sequel Cast. The Sequel Cast is a podcast that looks at films in a franchise one movie at a time. This time around, we're looking at the Harry Potter franchise. This specific episode, we're looking at Harry Potter and the Half Blood Prince, which was released in 2009. I'm Matt. With me is Thrasher. Hello, hello. Our theme song you just heard is written and performed by Mark with a C. Check out his music at markwithac.com. And the sequel cast is a proud member of the Battleship Pretension podcast fleet. Check out more film and TV podcast at battleshippretension.com. And you can check out our website at sequelcast.com. And if you want to donate, support the show, you can do so at sequelcast.com slash donate. So Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince. It was the sixth book, but it's the um, sixth film, and there's eight films in a seven-book series. <laughs> it's the sixth book, but it was the sixth film. <laughs> right. I um, I should have saved that, I guess, for the next week's show about yeah. the other one. But I like to call it, like, Harry Potter and the Exposition Prequel Dump. Um, I This is perhaps my least favorite Harry Potter film. I've only seen it twice, and I could barely get through it the second time. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna reveal a secret. I still haven't gotten through it. Oh, I've seen the film, but due, due to, to being out of town, the, the short of it is that I didn't have I have I have not had time to leisurely watch this film. So I figured, oh, I'll put the movie in. My girlfriend and I can watch it while we're eating dinner. The movie is still playing downstairs. Now, has your lady friend um, Sarah watched yes. Harry all the Harry Potters before? No, no, she hasn't. She'd only actually seen, I think, the first... Well, the first four were the only ones she remembered seeing. She knows she didn't see this one. She only read the book. But this movie just... This movie is too long. Well, before we get into the length, and I certainly agree, the... uh, And before the length gets into us, you cheeky boy. The length wasn't what it used to be. It was a bit wider than I expected, but sort of a chubby, but I could still feel it work its way around. Um... (laughs) The sequel cast is a family show, if you haven't guessed by now. <laughs> now, um, I'll stop laughing at my own jokes. Okay, um, so this came out in 2009, and yet the uh, the prior film, Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix, came out in 2007. Yeah, yeah. So that's, that's a two-gap film, a two-year gap between, you know, uh, number four, Goblet of Fire, number five, Order of Phoenix, and number six, Half-Blood Prince. And in this one, certainly the actors look a good bit older. As he goes Although it seems, it seems to work. I feel like they've caught up. Because the, what, the characters are supposed to be 16 or so now? Uh, I, 
I believe so. And, you know, it's not like the 80s where you have a movie set in high school and all the actors are like 30. Although, wouldn't that be great? Will Ferrell is Harry Potter. Uh, I bet you that was a sketch in SNL at one time during his long tenured run on that series. If you don't know, listeners, SNL stands for Saturday Night Live. With Don Pardo, and Nora John, Dunn, Dana Carvey, and John Lovitz. We, yeah. we haven't watched the show since 1989. We assume that that cast is still going strong. Sure. Um, actually, you know, recently on Saturday Night Live, they've lost a lot of uh, great cast members. Not in that they've killed themselves. Exodus. But yeah, make the exodus, which is always a, a sore point. But Fred Armisen is no longer going to be on the show. He is going to be missed. Yes. And not just Fred Armisen, but also, I can't remember the guy's name. <laughs> Facey dude. The guy that does the, um, he plays the character of the, the gay guy that does go to the different clubs in New York City. Oh, uh, Bill Hader? Yes, Bill Hader is no yes, longer going to be Stephane. in the show. Stefan, right. And then supposedly, um, Jason Sudeikis might not be in the show for that much longer. But that's been rumored for the past, like, season or two. Anyway, those are big heavyweights. I think out of, like, the the people in the cast, um, Jay Farrow, as an up-and-comer, I think, has been doing very well. And Bobby Moynihan, they don't give enough to do, much like with uh, Horatio Sands when he was on the show. But we're not, this is not the Saturday Night Live cast. We're sequel With cast. Nora Dunn. Essentially, we're talking about Harry Potter and the Half-Blood oh, Prince. So this came out in 2009. You want to do our box office gross? Yeah, let's, let's talk about how gross that box office was. How down and dirty, funky, freaky, and nasty that box office was. I haven't seen something that gross since uh, Clint Howard climbed out of my bathroom closet. So in, in 2009... Where do you think uh, Harry Potter 6 fell on the domestic gross? Domestic <laughs> gross, I mean, in the, in the United States. Uh, I'm going to say two, but only because that's when the new Star Trek came out, wasn't it? Yes, and no. Oh. Yes to the first part, no to the second. It was uh, number three. Worldwide, though, it was also number three. Huh. Domestically, in the United States, number two was Transformers Revenge of the Fallen, <laughs> the second Excuse film me, in the series. The it, bile just rose in so, my throat. Yeah, so number three in the United States in 2009, Harry Potter 6, Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince, made around $300 million. Transformers 2 made $400 million. And number one was uh, uh, Goliath for that year, Avatar. Well, yeah. Directed by James Cameron, and shockingly, we, it's 2013, we haven't seen an Avatar 2 yet. I believe there is one in development. They're though. filming Avatar 2 and 3 back-to-back. I think Avatar 2 is supposed to come out in 2014, and is going to take place in an underwater section of Pandora. I don't even know if it's the same planet. Uh, I believe it is supposed to be Pandora. It? Okay, I imagine it will have heavy environmental themes, like the first Avatar, and also because it's a James Cameron film. Um, 2009... Overseas, what made the the most money is number three was Harry Potter and the Half Blood Prince. Number two, Ice Age: Dawn of the Dinosaurs. I don't know if that's number three or number four. I have a feeling it's number three. In the Ice Age series, uh, yes, I've only seen Ice Age one on an airplane with the sound off because I didn't want to pay money for headphones. I, 
I do believe that is the third one. Uh, the The first Ice Age is actually quite fun. The sequels do become incredibly tortured. The the squirrel from the trailers that's trying to get the nut to get your butt, as they would say in Good Brothers. But aren't we all, eh? Uh, yeah, it's it, not the main of life. It's the main of life. Um, Why are we here? What's life all about? We're not talking about Monty Python. We're talking about Harry Potter. <laughs> uh, I just talked to the Shecky Spielberg right there. Um, we, we, I gotta say, we we are <clears throat> about to say Harry Potter as many times as the character in this, uh, the characters in these films. If they don't say Harry Potter, the character says Harry Potter. Brilliant, bloody brilliant. You got me snog in a tosser right there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> pip pip cheree. And number one, you know, worldwide in 2009, this is hard to believe, was was Avatar. That part's not hard to believe, but I guess the worldwide gross was $2 billion. You know, it did better than Titanic, which used to be the number one. And we have to come to terms with the, the fact that in 2009, the number one film was called Avatar, which isn't a great title. But well, why, why don't you think it's a great title? Uh, we're not talking about Avatar yet, so I'm not going to get... It, it's just such a nerdy term that's really vague, and it's not evocative of much of of, of everything. It's like calling well, Harry Potter a uh, wizard. Well, well, do you think Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince is a good title? No, I don't. I think it sounds pretentious. Well, I the, the thing that I don't like about the title is, much like with the Goblet of Fire, the thing that's in the title has n- almost nothing to do with the story. Okay, I mean, story is a big problem with Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince. It drives me nuts. But let's let's start off where we normally start off on the sequel cast, before our in numerous hell. and varied... In hell. Uh, before our <laughs> numerous and various tangents. When did you first see Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince? Was it prepping for the show? Today's show is brought to you by Epos Gaming Audio. With a comprehensive lineup of both wired and wireless headsets, gaming amplifiers, microphones, and webcams, Epos has everything you need to experience the power of audio. Like their H6 Pro lineup, which features two versions, an open or closed headset. The closed headset allows you to tap into exceptionally detailed audio and seals out ambient noise while the open version delivers natural, high-fidelity audio with an incredible soundstage. Both headsets include a magnetic detachable microphone and a sleek design that has no wild RBG configurations. Just good design. Listeners can save 15% by visiting www.eposaudio.com gaming and entering code EPOSFRIENDS15 at checkout. Uh, yes, it, it, it was an hour ago, and I it's like a two and a half, no, it was two hours ago, <laughs> and it's a two and a half hour movie, so I still haven't seen the last 20 minutes or so. 153 minutes, to be exact. Um, yeah, I first saw this a few years ago, uh, you know, Amazon.com has their deals of the day, where it's heavily yeah. discounted stuff, but it's limited as far as when you can get it. They had a deal for Harry Potter 1 through 6 on Blu-ray for like $50, which, which was a real good grab. And cool. I got that as a as a present for myself and my wife, my family. And, um, you know, so we didn't get a chance to catch this in the theater. We saw this at, at home. And there's a lot in this book that they left out. There's apparently even more backstory. In fact, we got a comment from friend of the show, uh, Ryan Haas, who was a guest on our video game sequel cast episode in Super Mario Brothers. Nice. He's off the Super Mario Brothers, uh, the movie uh, fan site, 
at smbmovie.com. He said he thought this film uh, way too much focus on the romance stuff, not enough payoff with Dumbledore, not enough focus on Voldemort backstory like the book. Oh, and they completely shortchanged Snape. Not one scene with him as the dark arts teacher. Already, that's a bunch of stuff that was not in this film. Yeah. Well, the funny thing is, like, I I enjoyed all the romance stuff, but really? now that I'm more consciously aware of exactly how long this movie is, I wish it had been cut for time. You know, after the first, I, no, well, scratch that. Even from the beginning of this Harry Potter film saga, and I have a very, I've read the entire first book. I've read, you know, probably the first fifty pages of the other books. So I've read hundreds of pages in preparation, technically, for uh, this Harry Potter coverage on the sequel cast. They All the films, their big problem, I think, is with pacing and with length. You could probably shave 30 minutes off of each film and have a more focused story. Yeah. And that's part of why I liked number five, what we discussed last week, Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix, is that they seem to really move on with it and seem to have a real drive to the plot. And this one, it feels like you're riding a, a bicycle in place. Yes, the pedals are moving around, but if you're not going anywhere, what's the point? Well, you're at a spinning class. You're burning those calories, but you're not seeing much of a change of scenery. Tired of going to lame comic cons and sitting around with smelly, moldy comic book boxes and the odor of really creepy cosplayers? Well, you don't have to go there anymore. Connecticut Comic Con with two ends is back on August 24th, 2013 at the Marriott Hotel in Trumbull, Connecticut. Join us at Connecticut Comic Con and be part of the coolest con in the entire Northeast. Toys, toys, collectibles, collectibles, sci-fi, sci-fi, cosplay contests, all at Connecticut Comic Con! Looking for that comic book to complete your collection? You'll find it at Connecticut Comic Con. Want a piece of original artwork to hang on the wall? You'll find it at Connecticut Comic Con. Connecticut Comic Con. It is your destiny. More details can be found at www.comiccon.com. Connecticut Comic Con! Hello, this is Matt, host of the Sequel Cast. I want to make a very special announcement. Sequel Cast Live is going to be at LeakyCon 2013 in Portland, Oregon. If you come on Saturday, June 29th from 4 to 4.50 p.m. at the Oregon 204 Room, you can see me host a very special live show where we talk about the Harry Potter films and video games with very special guests Tony Mincent, editor-in-chief of Bowtie Cat, and Eric Windsor, founder of On the Level Gaming. That's right. Again, that's sequel cast live at Leaky Con Portland in Portland, Oregon, Saturday, June 29th, 4 to 4.50 p.m. at Oregon 204 at the Oregon Convention Center in Portland, Oregon. See you there. And be sure to check out more great episodes of the sequel cast at www.sequelcast.com. You won't know what you're missing. We're a proud member of the Battleship Pretension podcast fleet. So where did this film start to piss you off, Thrasher? Well, it didn't... What actually, it really didn't piss me off until towards the end when I realized it wasn't over yet and I wanted something to actually happen. Um, so so I guess the thing – well, I, okay. 
there's there are a lot of little sort of sticky asides that really don't help. Like the whole bit with the spider funeral that just seems to uh. <clears throat> that just seems to go on. That's one of several scenes that seems to go on way too long. It's a uh, real forced attempt at comedy in a very serious story. Yeah, all the st- all the stuff with Ron and the hospital uh, that went on way too long. We, we pro- honestly we probably didn't even need most of that. Uh, the uh, all the all of the Quidditch stuff in the beginning could have been cut for time. Well, do you want me to all- tell you what like the first fifty pages of the book were that aren't even in the film? Harry in a sandwich. No, it's all this backstory from the bad guy's point of view. Of. Um, I would have liked that. I, wanna, I, I believe I it's, is the guy's name Wormtail? I don't even remember. The, the, uh, who's the number two? assistant and yeah. lackey was a Wormtail. Wormtail, right. Uh, he, he used to be the rat or whatever before he transformed. Hey, did Ron ever get a replacement familiar? Uh, he got another owl that was kind of like a, a dunce. Okay. I, I don't recall the name of his new familiar, but um, a- anyway... In the book, it has all this bit with the bad guys chatting with the Prime Minister of England and doing damage control on how, um, you know, the not just the country of England and, and the city of London, but how all the muggles are going to deal with the fallout from all these very public attacks, uh, you know, on in the muggles in, in famous uh, London landmarks that you see in the beginning of, of the film, but it's, they're merely described. The action sequences are very, very um, scantily described in the book. Like the bad guys come out of a painting and start talking to the prime minister about political maneuvering and all sort of backstabbing. The, the prime minister has no occult security? No, well, he's been dealing with them for years, I guess, and now they're trying to you know, reclaim their favors that they've granted him. Now, 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 here's a question. Is this supposed to be a specific prime minister? Is this a dig at a politician? It probably is, and it probably went over my head. I'm not very familiar with politics in the United Kingdom myself. Or is that offensive, what I just said? Because England and the United Kingdom are very different things. Uh, well, you know, if you found it offensive, send your angry letters to the Todd Glass Show, care of the Nerdist. <laughs> I've never been... Actually, send it to SequelCast at gmail.com or post it on Facebook page at facebook.com slash SequelCast. Um, yeah, I don't know. I've never been to, to Europe. I, I'm not sure about how to refer to all this stuff. But this film takes a long time to get going anywhere, and it never really goes anywhere until the last 30 minutes, which you didn't have a chance to see, Thrasher. Um, Very true. <laughs> it does. It does seem like there's only a handful of significant events that happen and most of them are crammed into the end of the film. Out of the actors that have gotten older in this film, I think Rupert Grint has aged the poorest. He's in the most gangly teenager look. He's a bit more stocky. They they have him doing more business with uh, uh, training people in Quidditch and participating in matches. And it, the character of Ron Weasley, uh, played by Rupert Grint, is always a second banana. Wouldn't you say? Yeah. Although, although with this whole Quidditch and romance angle, they do at least have stuff that he can do now. Do you like sort of the love triangle where he, because he's sort of like the hero of the team, only because Hermione cast a spell that makes him super duper good at Quidditch? 
Well, no, no. All, all she does in the all she does in the movie is during trials nudges the other goalkeeper out of the way so that he has a higher score as a goalkeeper, and that's what keeps him on the team. And then Harry pretends to put the luck potion in his drink to make him really good, and he believe and Ron believes he's had the luck potion, but he really hasn't. But it makes him confident enough that he plays one of the best games ever. I missed all that. I didn't get all that from the movie. It's it's all there. It's and it's pretty telegraphed. I'm sure it's telegraphed, but I after the the freshness of Quidditch in the first film, I just find the matches boring and it's not filmed like a real sports match. Well, you know, I'm going to disagree with you because this is okay. the first time I think we've ever seen Quidditch portrayed as an actual sport that makes sense. Is it because the special effects have gotten better or the shot? No, the, the, it's, I mean, the special effects are better, but it's not that. It's that Quidditch, when I see them practicing Quidditch, Quidditch suddenly makes sense. You're trying to get a ball into a goal. All that bullshit with demolition, flying murder balls and golden snitches is completely absent. I mean, the flying murder balls, The I don't recall the, the name of that. Bludgers. Yeah, I mean, that's like bonus points. That's gravy. But you're right. It's ultimately getting a ball through a uh, hoop. Like, it look, it looks... They, this is the first time Quidditch has looked like a worthwhile sport to me. Alex, hi, I'm Ray. How would you explain our show, No More Whoppers? Are you a nerd having trouble transitioning from your 20s to 30s to 40s and beyond? Age with us, not at us. I'm already gray. Blue! Are you tired of the man keeping you down? If you see something, say something. Do you enjoy the family computer? Capsule computing. We got them all. <laughs> no more Whoppers. We outlived the queen. She said it couldn't be done. No, I'm fading. <laughs> Come back. I can't do this alone. Do you enjoy number munchers? And is numbers what you call p Then listen to No More Whoppers. Only on the Tokyo Beat Network. Were you a bit disappointed where, when they pump up the romance angle that it's not uh, that Hermione doesn't lust after Harry Potter. It's Ron Weasley. I like I like that she doesn't lust after Harry Potter. I like that she's not attracted to the chosen one. She's attracted to the guy that has actual personality and a little bit of integrity. It was a bit of a surprise to me. I, I think it's yeah, it, it zigs where you think it would zag, and in that regard. And I mean, my major problem, and we've gone on for over ten minutes here uh, with this film, is how many fucking flashbacks there are. My God. <laughs> yeah, and that, that's in part because of the device with the memory storage, which uh, is finally paying off after weirding me out in the previous films. It's paying off, but, I mean, they kind of covered some of this ground already in uh, Harry Potter Chamber of Secrets with the young Tom Riddle as a student, and they kind of go back to that and flesh that out a bit more. And uh, judging from what our listeners are saying in the book, they go into even more detail about all that. And I, I don't find this backstory that interesting. Yes, Tom Riddle was a, a bad student that manipulated people. We knew that already. Well, you know, now now that you mention it, I guess because like they, they have made it clear. It, it's, it's been clear from the very first film that Voldemort has found a way to escape death. And the only real revelation we get in, in, is that, oh, now we have some idea of how he did it with a piece of magic that we've never seen discussed before. Not just that, but the, the notion of the Horcruxes, which are the seven, I guess, every time you kill someone, you lose part well, of the, your soul. Well, the, 
well, the explanation is that that murder is as a fundamentally unnatural act uh, damages your soul in such a way that it lets you split it. And if you put a split part of your soul into into the object, that'll be protected and will still be around. So even if your body is killed, you'll still have a soul somewhere on the prime material plane and can be brought back. Right. But and and that's okay. But just the thing that oh, we got to destroy all these seven objects to kill Voldemort once and for all. It's so video gamey to me. And I I like video games, but it's such an an obvious plot device. It's an egg McGuffin, as uh, Hitchcock called it. Is <laughs> it just a McGuffin? Right. It's um, I don't know. I I just think that's so. Well, well the. Although the thing that I do like about that is that we is that we do like it 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 puts some of the earlier films in context in context where we learned that the journal from Chamber of Secrets was one of Voldemort's Horcruxes. Now, given that you've watched all these films um, as part of this discussion here on the sequel cast over these past several episodes, mm-hmm. and you feel like not a lot happens in these films, do you feel you could go from? Harry Potter 1 to Harry Potter 2 to Harry Potter 6 and not miss much? Um, you know, I think so. Uh, although <laughs> I would, although you should probably see Order of the Phoenix. Because stuff actually happens in Order of the Phoenix. I was kind of expecting in this film, they, Order of the Phoenix is all about Dumbledore's army. I was expecting more of sort of like a siege of the, you know, the, the, the good kids versus the bad kids and wizards and stuff. And you don't get that yet in this film. It's yeah. kind of anticlimactic. Um, before we get into the spooky, shocking twist at the end of the film, dun, dun, dun. let's take a minute to talk about our website at sequelcast.com and a very special announcement related to the Harry Potter convention LeakyCon. Oh my, oh my. You know what I'm talking about? Maybe I do, maybe I don't. Element of surprise. Excellent. So if you want to check out past episodes of the SequelCast podcast, you can do so at SequelCast.com or look up SequelCast on Twitter. We've covered such franchises over the years as Planet of the Apes, Indiana Jones, Home Alone, and Bill and Ted, among others. You can check all those out for free at SequelCast.com. And uh, as I mentioned before, a theme song by Mark with a C. We're a part of the Battleship Protection Podcast fleet. To donate, go to sequelcast.com slash donate and donate via PayPal. Doing a podcast isn't um, isn't free. It's not terribly expensive, but it costs some money. So we'd like to defray those costs. You can also hear SequelCast on Stitcher Smart Radio. It's an app where you can listen to podcast streaming on the go. You don't have to wait for minutes or even hours for a podcast to download, you can just get the app from stitcher.com slash sequelcast, and the sequelcast podcast will be added as uh, some of your favorite shows, which of course, why wouldn't they be? And if you like sequelcast, we've got other shows in the sequelcast roster podcast. We have sequel commentary, audio commentaries to cult films and sequels, video game sequelcast, which covers video game franchises, sequelcast special, which covers movie topics at large, and... um. That's it at the moment. We don't, I, I really want to do a sequel commentary tying into our Harry Potter discussion, but I cannot find the just the right thing to do a commentary on. Would a Harry Potter film be too much? Or 
They're all pretty long. That's the problem. Yeah. Well, I, I, the thing is, and everything I care to say, I think I've already said on these episodes. Right. I, I don't think I'd be adding any new insight. Well, given the text message I sent the other day, did you have a copy of Willow? Uh, I no, I do not. But I can find one. It's hmm. not that hard to get. Well, if that's a, maybe we should do. Uh, we should record a sequel commentary together. We haven't done that in a while on Willow, because that's like with magic. That's quasi Harry Potter related. Well, no, and uh, Warwick Davis is in both Harry Potter and Willow, correct? Yes, yeah, he plays multiple roles in the Harry Potter series. Um, also, if you want to follow along with a movie we're talking about here in SequelCast, if you go to SequelCast.com and look on the, the right there, we have a rent-a-movie link, which is links to Amazon Instant Video Rentals. So it's streaming video rentals for typically like $1.99 or two ninety nine a piece. Very, very reasonable to check out the movies we're talking about. Image quality looks good. And you can watch these rentals on your TV if you're an Amazon Prime member and have something like a PlayStation 3, an Xbox 360, um, Roku, or another device to watch it on your TV. Or, of course, you can watch it on your computer. So, there you go. Of course, there's merchandise. Go to cafepress.com slash sequelcast to buy buttons, t-shirts, whiskey flasks, and all sorts of goodness. Nobody's done that yet, but why not be the first? We we will celebrate that first sale. Indeed. Um, so, do you want me to... I guess, do you think I should talk about the sequel cast Harry Potter connection coming up here? I think we should. So, do you know what I'm talking about? About LeakyCon? Yes. Well, I know, I know you're going to be there, and I know that you were trying to organize a live recording. And that is actually confirmed. I just got that confirmed today that nice. SequelCast is going to have a live recording of SequelCast Special with myself and special guest uh, Tony Mincent, founder of Bowtie Cat, and Eric Windsor, founder of On the Level Gaming. Those are both great uh, gaming tumblers. Cool. And um, it's going to be at Saturday at, I believe, 4 p.m. on June 29th, 2013. You can get passes to LeakyCon. Just go to leakycon.com slash Portland. What I'm not sure is if you have to get a whole three-day pass or if they sell individual day passes to the convention. Most will sell individual day passes. Yeah, this is the first time LeakyCon has been in Portland, Oregon. It's been in the United States a few times, uh, Chicago in particular, and it's a Harry Potter convention based out of merry old London, England. So if you want to get your huffle puffed, Go to the SequelCast special live recording Saturday, June 29th, 2013 at 4 p.m. Pacific time. And we will have a recording of that that will be available as a SequelCast special. So I'm really excited. I've never been, let alone hosted a panel at a convention before. And I've been to a lot of comic conventions in the past. So I'm, I'm... It, can, it can be quite a thrill. Just make sure that if there is any sound equipment, it's properly set up. Sure. Uh, testing one two three. Testing one one one. Oh gosh. Okay. So I actually moderated a panel at Comic Palooza uh, this past weekend. Yes. Which, which, by by the way, if you have not seen the Patrick Stewart uh, clip from Comic Palooza, definitely seek it out. Excellent. It's, it the it's, rounds it's great. Yeah. On the internet, but um, so I did a panel. So there were four people on the panel, and then me moderating, and the AV what setup. Was the, what was the topic? Uh, the topic, actually, the topic was on uh, was on uh, paranormal investigations, but um, we we had okay. a couple of different ghost hunters and, and and a cryptozoologist on the panel. Oh, I see. Okay, right. but 
But the thing is, the the audio setup that, that the convention had provided for us, they gave us three microphones and no microphone stands. So anytime someone finished speaking, let, the, let me the guess. Mics, what do you hear on the table? Boom, boom. The, yeah, they were just lying yeah. on the table. So yeah. anytime someone was was speaking, was done speaking, they would try to pass the mic. And if someone did grab the mic, the mics were moving all over the table, and we were effectively braiding the cord, the cord, the three cords. But if no one took the mic, or if someone grabbed one of the other mics, whoever had the mic who was done speaking would just drop it on the table. Oh, it was terrible. But the microphones worked. Oh yeah, they worked. They worked fine. They were just constantly being dropped and tangled. What was the first time you uh, were at a panel at a convention? Not running a LARP, but uh, actually, I think the, the fir- I think the first time I attended a panel was a panel on shared world fiction in Dragon Con in two thousand four. Robert Asprin uh, was on that panel. This this was, of course, before he died. I would love to go to a panel he's been on since he's died, but that's very complicated. Uh, I don't mean panel I to, you've. I don't mean panel, panel you've attended. I had a commitment at okay. a different event. I don't mean panel you've attended. I mean panel where you've been on the other side, you know. Oh, where I've been actually speaking. A participant, yes. Uh, oh, wow. An active participant. I you guess know, like, that was. I guess that would have been a uh, that that would have been one of our LARP panels at uh, Origins or Gen Con, probably in two thousand eight, two thousand nine. Now, when you were at well, your uh, convention you were just at, mm-hmm. did you pimp the sequel cast good and hard? Yes, I did. Did anyone uh, say, I've heard of it? There were lots of Harry yes. Potter fans there, so there were lots of opportunities to bring up the fact that we were covering the series. Excellent. Was it, Was anyone like, I've heard of that show? N- no, but there were many people who had heard of LeakyCon. Oh, cool. Great. And I think a small handful that we're going to try to go. Well, thank you for that. So let's oh, go welcome. back ostensibly to our discussion of Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince. Yeah. Okay. So I gotta ask this. So yes. so early on, Harry gets this old, uh, tattered uh, potion book about potions, right. and it's got all these awesome notes scribbled in the margins, like like any decent book of magic is going to have. Uh-huh. But there's this the, uh, there's this little cryptic thing in there where it says this book is the property of the Half Blood Prince. The identity of the Half Blood Prince, I it never comes up in this movie. At least in none of the scenes I saw. They talk about how there's no reference to it in the library, even in like the top secret section of the library. Yeah, and like and like everyone seems everyone seems to want to know who this person is, except Harry, which is weird because every time they found a mysterious book with a mysterious name, something's gone horribly wrong. You'd think he would have figured out that it's worth knowing who who the book used to belong to. Yeah, there's a part. I think it's not too far after the spider funeral. Um, I mean, and this film really ties in a lot to number two, Chamber of Secrets, is they do some kind of spell where they take a memory from the new uh, goopy professor in this Slughorn. one. Slughorn. played by Jim Broadbent, who's a very Who funny actor. awesome. And I, he's really low-key for a Harry Potter film, I think, as a professor in this. Well, he's, he's delightfully nonchalant. I really, I just, I really love that. I love Jim Broadbent from uh, Foz Lerman's film Moulin Rouge, where he sings a cover of Like a Virgin. Oh, he's also <laughs> he's also the 11th Doctor in Doctor Who, The Curse of Fatal Death. Really? 
Yes. Oh, okay. He, he's he's the the eleventh Doctor, the Doctor that's very embarrassed around women. <laughs> that that fits. He, I, really, I really love the way they play around with that. They give every Doctor one overblown personality trait, and that's his. Oh, great. He's um, also in. Uh, he played Mother in the Avengers with uh, Uma Thurman. <coughs> Excuse me. And I believe he's also in. Uh, he's also in uh, one of the Black Adders. Hmm. Gotcha. Very cool. We. Uh, what was I going to say? Right. So he extracts like this final flashback sequence that they look in the pool from the the guy, and you find out even more about Tom Riddle that he has the Horcruxes. And um, and all of this, and that he is the once again Voldemort, you know, is a titular half blood prince. Who would have thought the main bad guy of the series would have been the source of the mystery yet again? Um, so that's kind of tired. And yet, so it wasn't Hagrid then. No, and you have. Um, so wait, what makes what makes Voldemort the half blood prince? I, I don't recall. They don't focus it's like on he has a parent that was a wizard and a parent that was a muggle. I think you're probably right. I I have no idea. I wasn't paying much attention at that point. I was getting very bored with the movie and eating popcorn, struggling to stay awake after a uh, rollicking day of work that starts at six in the morning. Um, so, <coughs> excuse me. I, the thing with the Horcruxes, I think, is a nice thing about the device is it's not like all the Horcruxes look like a gem or something. It's hidden in whatever item. Yeah, I, I, li- I like that the Horcruxes could feasibly be just about anything. Sort of like the climax of Return to Oz, huh? Oh, very true. So, there's there's a towards the climax, Harry Potter teams up with Dumbledore alone to recover some Horcruxes in um, in a small stone, or like rock it's island a in a cave. Yeah, in a sea cave. Where it's a, I think it's a pseudo sexual sequence where Harry Potter has to keep on filling his his old mentor's mouth with liquid, even though the mentor doth protest, and he well, has to I, make sure he drinks it to the last drop. Yeah, the the last thing the last thing I saw before I had to run up to start this recording was Dumbledore starting to drink from that weird cauldron using the seashells. The scene is comically long. Dumbledore like makes a lemon face. <laughs> He's like puckering. He's like. No, Harry Potter, don't, don't put it in my mouth. Uh, well, perhaps not I with that dialogue. Ask, why? Yeah. Why is it important that he drank what was in there? I was because if he drinks all what's in the um, what do you call it? The the fountain thing. Yeah. Uh, one of the Horcruxes is at the bottom. If you if you drink it, if you drink it all, but drinking but it so all can possibly kill you. No, it doesn't appear unless all the liquid is banished. And the stuff isn't poison, because if I was evil, I, I would. that's my trap. I would say, what? oh, you have to drink all the stuff to get the magic thing. It, well, then no, I that's what it is. it is. It is poison unless you drink it all, like, really quickly. But, yeah, but then wouldn't you just vomit it up? Apparently, it's not, not that bitter. I don't know. It's Oh, and actually, speaking yes. of vomit, did you notice the unusual number of references to vomit in this movie? I know in the beginning when uh, a waitress is flirting with Harry Potter in uh, in London at a bar, Harry Potter, you know, tries to pretend like he's not Harry Potter. And he calls Harry Potter a tosser, which I think <laughs> is kind of a surprising thing to say in a PG film. But perhaps the censors didn't realize. Well, now, it doesn't tosser basically mean jack off, 
right? Yeah, it's, it's, it's okay. the same thing. It's like it's, it's like you know, it's a little worse version of Wanker. Uh, and in fact, tosser may in fact be be a very old saying. It may in fact refer to the person who is in like y- yes, cur- the current version refers to masturbating, but there are are some linguists and f- and philologists who believe that. It actually goes back to when you used to have a servant who emptied your chamber pot by tossing it out the window. Oh, that makes sense. And so that uh, Harry uh, a tosser might also refer to a handler of human waste. So there could potentially be um, middle-aged or Renaissance text that include the term tosser. Indeed, but but that's well the thing the thing though about the, the the film ratings board, they're a bunch of stodgy old motherfuckers who know nothing about the world. Take that ratings board. And so, th- so this film, like Harry Potter Six, was in the United States was rated PG. Yeah. Harry Potter three through five rated PG thirteen. There what? was a surprising amount of blood in this movie, like when, yeah. when Draco gets c- cut up for some reason. Harry Potter almost kills him yet again in the fucking bathroom. Yeah, another weird <laughs> bathroom scene. I'm definitely going to talk about this when I do my sequel cast special live at um, LeakyCon at the end of June in Portland, Oregon. But, I mean, the bathroom focus, it, maybe that's trying to be Freudian. I don't know. <laughs> I have no idea. Your mother is the greatest toilet of all. Okay. Okay, I never want to hear you speak again. <laughs> um, with that all being said, the famous climax of this film is Dumbledore is killed by Severus Snape. But meanwhile, Harry Potter is underneath the stairs, overhearing a, a an info a yet another info dump discussion, where um, oh crap, uh, Draco Malfoy is revealing to uh, Dumbledore where all the different horcruxes are, and Dumbledore knows that Harry Potter is listening. And then Snape gets in on the on the business and uh, does his thing. I see. And it's the movie finally has some juice at this point. It has momentum. I think the whole cinematography of this entire film is really dark. I had to squint at my TV while watching it. And I don't no, like to I mess with to my settings. Thing. I had to turn yeah. off all the lights to see what was going on on the screen in most cases. I think it's almost too... It almost feels like you're watching The Godfather Part 2 with all the dimly lit conference uh, room sequences. Yeah, I don't know. But, I mean... So with that ending, do you think that's like a strong ending? Will... <laughs> Dumbledore, by this point, you know, Dumbledore is a character that I do care about, so I'm sure had I seen it, I would have cared that he died, but at the same time, I already knew he died. Yeah, you, you do get a scene it, afterwards of Harry Potter, came out. you get Harry Potter, you know, chasing down uh, Snape and Draco and the rest, firing blast of magic at Snape, and Snape just uses all these defensive spells, because of course he's master of the defensive against the dark arts. Which apparently can defend you against any kind of art. Sure, and Harry Potter's like, stop defending, what are you doing? Let's have a fight. And you get a feeling sort of like a, an ending of Empire Strikes Back or something. Darkness is on the rise, and they're destroying stuff throughout the inside of Hogwarts, kind of making it a mess, much like the Riddler does to Batman in Batman Forever. <laughs> and you get a, a mysterious letter at the end of the film in a locket from R.A.B., who at this point, the identity is unknown. 
It's a letter, not to Harry Potter, I'm sorry. Sorry. It's to uh, Voldemort saying that R.A.B. has the real Horcrux and wishes to destroy it. And so you don't really know what this is about. And Harry Potter is like, I'm going to go and destroy the Horcruxes myself. And Hermione is like, don't be silly, Harry Potter. You got friends. You, your friends got to go with you. And they look and say, oh, oh, it, it looks very beautiful at the sun setting here. I've never noticed how pretty it looks here at Hogwarts. And then it ends. I feel like there was a whole movie's worth of stuff that I missed in that last 20 minutes. They cram a whole lot in the last uh, 20 minutes. Damn, why couldn't that have been in the two hours that I actually saw? Right. I don't know, but... um. So, I mean, given that, I think, are you ready to rate this film? Is there any last thing you want to bring up about it? Um. Okay, so the vomiting. There are enough references to vomiting that I feel like the screenwriter or the director has to be a secret vomit fetishist and gets turned on every time one of the characters makes a reference to vomit. Is it when they're drinking the love potion and they're vomiting? Uh, there's a reference to yeah, there's a, a reference there. There's uh, when Harry Potter first teleports. The beginning of the movie, Dumbledore makes a comment about how most people vomit the first time. Uh, during one of the romancy bits, uh, Hermione says, "I have to go and vomit." And, and, oh, and then there's that vomiting sculpture in the Weasley Brothers shop. That sculpture that just perpetually vomits. Speaking of which, since we've been talking about the Harry Potter saga here on Sequel Cast, I found an interesting quote from Terry Gilliam, who uh, of uh, Monty Python fame, who's also a director who um, author J.K. Rowling wanted to direct the first film and the studio decided not to go with him. They were asking him, well, what, what would your Harry Potter film have been like? And this is Gilliam's response. Um, Alfonso Cuaron's film, which is Harry Potter 3, Prisoner of Azkaban, is really good, but the first two I thought were just shite. They missed the whole point of it. They missed the magic of it. Alfonso did something much closer to what I would have done. What do you think about that quote, considering the Harry Potter films we've watched and what you know of Terry Gilliam films? I would love to see his take on these movies. They're asking, you know, why didn't you do one of the sequels? And he said they had their chance the first time around, and they they missed it. But on the other hand, he doesn't feel bad. He didn't get to do it because he considers it a real factory studio job. Well, yeah. Although at the same time, I'm sure we would have gotten a brilliantly crafted Harry Potter film, even if it would have taken five years to make. Visually, I think it certainly would have looked more fantastical. You would have seen more going on with a creepy mask on a character's face had Terry <laughs> Gilliam had directed the original Harry Potter film. Well, there, there, I think there would have been a more honest sense of wonder not just telegraphed wonder that we would be expected to absorb from the characters. Perhaps a more subtle music score? Uh, I don't mind the music score as it exists, and I'm, not, and I'm not sure there would have been a more subtle one. It just would have been different. So with that in mind, let's give uh, Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince a rating out of five stars. I give it two out of five stars. Perhaps my least favorite Harry Potter film is full of flashbacks, info dumps, and it just plain stinks. In the words of John Lovitz as the critic, it it's much like uh, Harry Potter Chamber of Secrets, the second one. It just seems to be kicking the ball ahead in the field, waiting for the next film to actually put it into play. I uh, I was going to give this one four stars until uh, until. 
I had to leave the movie after two hours to do this recording because of its structural problems. I'm going to have to give it two. Wow. Okay. Fantastic. Or not. Well, well, I mean, it's, it's the, again, like I, like I liked all that romance stuff, but I, once it's all said and done, that really is just filler designed to push the important parts further back to the end. Yeah. I mean, sure. And the romance wasn't focused that much on the earlier film. I guess you had Harry Potter dating the, um, one of the other students in the, in the earlier film. So, I don't know. Certainly, it's not one of my favorites, and not yours either, from the sound of it. No, I think, so far, Order of the Phoenix is still my favorite. All right. So, do you regret watching the Harry Potter films? I, no, I do not regret watching them. Okay. Uh, let's do a pitch a sequel, in which you pretend, you know, a sequel wasn't made to what we're talking about in book or film form. And, you know, so if, if I was doing uh, Harry Potter 7, Thrasher, this is what I would do. I would call this one uh, PVV, and <laughs> a hip acronym for Potter versus Voldemort. And with that in mind, I would have it be uh, kind of like a Rocky film. You have a lot okay. of training montages, and they're going to have a face-off all throughout, and the entire uh, grounds of Hogwarts is the arena. So they're kind of dashing towards the different rooms, trying to find each other. They're trying to take the hits while they can, using whatever dirty tricks they can to uh, to win in the end. It'd be very intimate, uh, spectacularly violent closure to the series. Thrasher, what's your pitch of sequel? Okay. Uh, mine would be uh, Harry Potter and the Burning of the Books. Uh, the, the the premise behind this one is that you know word of the Horcruxes gets out, and so the the, sh- the short of it is that someone on Hogwarts uh, fears Voldemort so much and is so supremely paranoid that any object in Hogwarts might be a Horcrux that someone is going around Hogwarts setting fires and causing random destruction uh, in, in the hopes that he's destroying the Horcruxes and who knows how many are out there. And this is throwing Hogwarts into chaos and giving the actual, uh, providing the perfect distraction for the actual evil wizards. Uh, although we find out in the end that all this random destruction is actually being caused by Draco Malfoy, who's had a change of heart and is freaking the fuck out about what will actually happen if uh, Voldemort actually succeeds in whatever the hell his evil plan is. Hmm. But of course, you know, uh, Draco has been completely alienated from Harry Potter, so he can't actually go to the side of the good guys when he has his change of heart. He just becomes a different kind of villain. And it all ends with a massive fire in the Hogwarts library. Fire's always good. It's dramatic. But be careful, because fire hot, and sometimes fire bad. Oh. The late Phil Hartman might have enjoyed that joke. Let's get him on the phone. Is he here? He's been dead for quite some time, sadly. I know, but I thought you might do a terrible Phil Hartman impersonation. Hello, I'm Phil Hartman. And I'm your best friend, John Lovitz. Well, well, well. Glad to see you. How are you doing, Johnny? 
I'm doing fine. I just invented in a golf invested in a golf ball company. Well, I just starred in a movie, Silly Phil and the Wacky Cult. Is that the kind of movie they're making up in heaven? It is. I have a horse that has tons of adventures until it realizes that it's only as wacky as its owner, me. It's a thrilling conclusion. Well, I think, wait for it, it stinks. Well, you would love it, because of all the shit you have stuffed up your nose, everything stinks. That's medicinal. End scene. <laughs> well, your Lovitz sounded more like Lovitz than my Hartman sounded like Hartman. Very good. Um, the good time was had by all. Very good times, yes, yes. So let's go into sequel news over at our Facebook page at facebook.com slash sequelcast. We post some current news about, uh, you know, movie sequels in development. I thought we'd talk about some current, as of this recording, uh, news stories on sequels. Do you have one you'd like to talk about, Thrasher? Well, there actually, there is one I'd like to talk about because it is, in a way, related to, uh, it is in related uh, way related to the recent uh, Star Trek sequel. Yes. Uh, but J.J. Abrams has secured the rights to produce a movie based on Rod Serling's final screenplay. Really? Yes, he did. Uh, Rod Serling, uh, shortly before uh, he, he died of cancer, I want to say this was 19, uh, yeah, it was in, in 1975, uh, had written a screenplay called The Stops Along the Way, which was was never made uh, after he after he passed, and uh, this is going to be uh, I don't know if it's going to be J.J. Abrams' next project, but it'll probably be the project he wraps up after Star Wars. You know, J.J. Abrams uh, is very good at imitating styles of how things look from different time periods. Hmm. So I'd hope if he adapted a Rod Serling thing, maybe he would do black and white. Although I guess it wouldn't have to be. Well, I mean, I would love, uh, I would love it. I, I love period pieces. I would love love it as a period piece, either in the fifties or the seventies. I like J.J. Abrams, but you know, I'm just not really sure like what his own style is. He imitates other styles so much and so well, almost spookily well at times, that if he was up to his own druthers doing his own original thing that wasn't an homage to something else, what would it be? What would it look like? I honestly don't know. You're right. He he does kind of just just sort of take an an ape. He does it very well. And uh, but I, I I guess I, I'm still I I'm still dealing with a lot of fallout from uh, the new Star Wars, Star Trek, Star Trek. I, I I'm waiting to feel the same way about Star Wars. Now <laughs> that I think about it, maybe Star Wars Episode Seven will surprise you. I want it to surprise me, but I but more importantly, I want it to surprise me in a good way. Hmm. So eight piece of sequel news I, is about uh, Schwarzenegger has a trio of sequels in development that are in the scripting stage. One is uh, Terminator 5. Uh. One is Twins 2, where he'd be triplets with him, Danny DeVito, and the triplet would be Eddie Murphy. Oh, I've heard about that. And the third would be a new Conan the Barbarian film. With him as an older Conan that's supposed to have more of the tone of uh, the Clint Eastwood film Unforgiven. Mm. Dealing with the dilemma, what happens when a barbarian gets old? I, I really do want to see a King Conan movie. 
out of those three, that's the one that'd be more appealing to you. Yeah, that, that that's the one I'm, I'm more gravitating towards. I would love, and I and I would love it to be as cerebral as the first Conan film, and sure. just make it about the nature of power, age, and time, and legend. Well, in fact, um, co-writer and director of uh, the first Conan film, John Milius, had a script called uh, King Conan, about Conan the Barbarian and Conan's son and old age and that sort of thing. That he was all set up to do with Arnold Schwarzenegger in the lead, and then Arnold Schwarzenegger decided to run for governor of California. Mm. How'd that work out? He was governor of California for quite some time. <laughs> and reelected. So, you know, that's uh was a success, I guess. He wasn't always well liked, from what I understand, but I've never lived in California, so what do I know about that period? Um yeah, no, I think Conan would be my preference if any of those three get made. Uh, although Terminator 5, I'm curious about. Because had you seen the fourth uh, Terminator, Will? No, I've only seen Salvation. the first two. Oh, hmm. We might have to do those in sequel cast then. I, 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 Judging by your tone of voice, I think we will. Yeah. Surprising that we haven't. That's one of those big ones. But I, I think Terminator 5 is just one of those... I don't know if you'd try to do a reboot, do a new continuity. I don't know if you'd try to do some weird thing where, oh, the T-800 is going to try to miniaturize himself and destroy the fetus of Sarah Connor. Like, I, I don't, like, where do you take it? Do All have, I'm hearing are clicks and whistles. Do you have Terminator 5 take place after Terminator 4 and kind of bridge the gap? Uh, and it would end where Terminator 1 begins? Well, I guess the, the I guess the th- the thing is they keep each each movie seems to interpret the future uh, history differently. Because remember, in the in the first Terminator, the robots were losing the war, <coughs> and so sending an assassin back in time was their desperate gamble to turn things around. But then in the second one, they're winning again. But then in the third one, they're losing again. But then the third one, as as it says in the title, uh, "Rise of the Machines," and in the fourth one, it's about the formation, the very early formation of the rebellion, and it has Kyle Reese as a character and John Connor. And Terminator Four, oh, I, I won't spoil that scene, I guess. So I'll shut up. You you can't spoil Terminator Four for me. Terminator Four has a scene near the end where they're going through like a Skynet construction factory, uh-huh. and they run into a uh, a a T eight hundred with a Arnold Schwarzenegger, you know. Um, not exoskeleton, what do you call it? Skin? Face. Face, Skin, yeah, yes. and it's CG replacement. That's pretty decent. <laughs> so it'll be interesting to see which of those Schwarzenegger things goes forward. I think if any of them uh, actually become movies, they will certainly do better than Schwarzenegger's you know, most recent theatrical film, The Last Stand, which is his first starring vehicle since Terminator 3, Rise of the Machines. And The Last oh. Stand did terribly in overseas gross. But it's not attached to a big old franchise, you see. So there you go. If you want to check out more sequel news or talk to us, you know, a good way to do it is on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash sequelcast. Now to our final segment of the show, What You Watching. Nice. What you so watching? What, what are you watching? Oh, you're asking me. Okay. As I, is my right as first speaker. I've been watched about a third of season four of Arrested Development. 
which was nice. is on Netflix. Watch instantly. Netflix financed the whole thing. That's kind of the new thing Netflix is doing now. That's actually what I was going to talk about too. Oh, well, let's talk about it. Let's talk together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Two were better than one. Um, so, so what do you think? Because my wife and I have been rewatching seasons one through three over the past month to get caught up. Because Arrested Development, even though it's a sitcom, has a really complicated story and complicated family dynamics. It sure does, and they actually they, they actually come they reflect that in the actual structure of the new season four. I don't like all the time jumping stuff. I, I do I do agree with you there. If they do if they do more, I, I hope they don't do the time jumping. But I think the time jumping is just a byproduct of the fact that there have been so many years since the original series and the new series. So well, I don't part, think they'll stick yeah. with that. Well, and part of the reason why they are have episodes focused on individual characters just because of scheduling issues with all the actors. Mm. Do you think that hurts the show or it's not all the family living together in the same house anymore? I don't don't think it hurts. Well, it doesn't exactly hurt the show. It's just that the episodes are a half hour or more long without commercial breaks. And because most of the episodes all cover the same period of time, but from different characters' perspectives, there's a lot of retread in a number of the episodes that in many ways I would rather wasn't there. A lot of stock footage. Well, no, it's not stock footage. It's just that, that, you know, you, you enter, you know, you'll enter these scenes. There's certain scenes that you will see again and again and again, but each time you see them, it's either from a different character's perspective or you have some additional information that puts that scene into a whole different context. It's just that you're still rewatching those scenes again and again and again. I I think there could be a more efficient way of, of doing that. I'm sure there's someone working on a fan edit chronological cut of Arrested Development it, season four. It already four. exists, actually. Does uh, it? Really? It was okay. posted to the AV Club's uh, Good Job Internet column. Huh. Have you seen it? Uh, no. I, I, when it was posted, I was only halfway through the season. I, I have not had a chance to go back since seeing all of the new season. So since you've seen all the new season and I haven't, does it does it get better? Because the only episode I've really liked so far is the first Tobias episode. Oh, it it does it does it does indeed get better. In fact, there's an episode called "It Gets Better." Uh, they, they they do some amazing things. Uh, however, and I, I, I when you get to the last two episodes, you'll realize that they are counting on having one more season. Hmm. Because it, 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 it has the same kind of ending that the uh, first two seasons did, where it's clearly a setup for more things to come. Yeah. Uh, and I certainly hope they get it, because there's their stories worth telling with these characters. But they, so they, they don't bring any kind of – they don't – because even, even the, the third season end, which was when the show was canceled, they do attempt to bring some closure to the series. They don't attempt to bring any closure to the series uh, on Netflix. Is it just me, or do you think Portia de Rossi has had some plastic surgery? Oh, she probably has. season three. She, she probably has, but they never talk about Jeffrey Tambor's plastic surgery. He's had plastic surgery? Uh, it's a penis reduction. Ah. It's causing problems. That kind of ties into what happens to one of the characters he plays. Not not penis reduction, but <laughs> anyway. He gets some gender issues with one of the characters. Yes. I'll, I'll leave it at that. 
Although what I love though, I love I love how most of the stuff in the show is taken from reality. Have you gotten to the stuff with the Fantastic Four yet? Um, with um David at the Methadone Clinic. Yes, and yes, I, I've seen that. That. Stuff. Okay, well, do, do you you know all the the Fantastic Four stuff actually happened, right? Yes, with the Roger Corman '90s thing, sure. Yeah, to, so that they could maintain the rights. No, and Maria Bamford is a nice um, supporting addition to the cast in some oh, of the episodes. Amazing. I've seen her do stand up a few times, and uh, she's uh, she's an original. Uh, it's it's so different what she does with comedy, and you either love it or you hate it, and I love it. But she was great to have in there. Just, I just like the gag with Tobias feeding his family. A Thanksgiving dinner, and he puts a live duck in the oven, <laughs> and then and then they take it out, and it's still alive, but it's just charred. I love I, that keeps coming back. That's actually one of the running gags. They're, they're, oh, you'll learn more things about that duck and about that Thanksgiving. Okay, that's a uh, yeah, a lot of good physical. Daddy wants to get his rocks off. Is oh a, yeah, right? oh yeah. Very Tobias quote. Um. But no, if you like Arrested Development, I think it's fair to say you'll like the new season. That's available exclusive on uh, Netflix streaming in the United States. Not sure about its availability overseas. But if you're a listener from the United States, you might want to try out a trial of Netflix just to check out season four if you're an Arrested Development fan. But it, it's worth watching the previous seasons before jumping into this one. Yeah, I can't, I can't imagine what it what it would be like watching the new season without being intimately familiar with the first three. You know, you and I used to watch this in college a lot, Thrasher. Oh, we loved it. And it dawned on me that I was always really confused watching Arrested Development because I watched season one and two with you basically every week as it aired. But I had never seen season one. And really? season one, until rewatching it to prep for season four of Arrested Development. And season one does such a great job of setting up who these characters are that without see, even seeing season one, I was very confused throughout season two and three. Talked plenty on the sequel cast. Some, apparently, about Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince. <laughs> Tune in next week when we talk about Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows, part one. Part one. You can follow me on Twitter at SequelCast. And you can follow me on Twitter at InternetMare. Check out old episodes at SequelCast.com. Support the show at SequelCast.com slash donate. For the SequelCast, this is Matt. And this is Thrasher. Saying, He I, was the king of the Arachnid. I know Harry Potter. He, he's a little bit of a tosser, really. <laughs> he, he tossed in my face once. You know what I love is that Harry, at that beginning, is just a regular bloke trying to get it off with a lady. I just love that. Yeah, it's uh, makes him a bit more human. Less, you know, they have the term muggle for human. Do they have a term for, like, wizard people? Uh, they probably just call wizard people us. Uh.